Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Today's lesson 
If you're at coffee, if you need coffee to wake up in the morning, you need to get a cup of coffee for today. Because you're going to be exercising your brain in the same space with that. Alright? So, if you need a cup of coffee, I would strongly encourage you to get a cup of coffee. So the question that I'm going to ask and attempt to, to walk through Bruno's answer for today is why are you safe? Why are you safe? Not a lot of other things, but why are you safe? Okay? So concentrate on that for just a little bit. So last week, what did we talk about? We talked about common grace. Common grace. Common grace is awesome, right? We talked about everything that doesn't look like the burning fires of hell is a result of common grace, which is a pretty easy definition to remember because you probably never had to memorize a word in the burning fires of hell is in the definition, right? No, I have So, Grudem, we're in this section called the application of redemption, which is basically Grudem's way of saying the start to finish of the salvation process, all of salvation. And he lines them up in a bit of an order that kind of makes sense to study them in, in an order that they start here and they end here. So we're going to start with, what's today? Today is Sunday, yes. Excellent. Thank you. So what was last week? Last week was also Sunday. Yeah. All right. Keep that for you. So last week we looked at common grace. Today we're going to look at election and reprobation. And two kind of fancy words. Uh, most of us have probably heard the word election. You may or may not have heard the word reprobation. So I'm going to back up just a half a step and talk about another word, predestination. You guys have heard the word predestination before? Excellent. All right. So predestination is a broader term, and it includes both election and reprobation. So we'll, I just want to say that, that while we are not specifically talking about predestination, we're talking about its components today. So we are covering that today. All right. So the first step, and this is really where, where Grudem spends a lot of time in this chapter is trying to determine what's the first step in that salvation process. Is, is it God chooses because he loves us? Is it God chooses because he knows we're going to choose him? Is it God looks at good works that we do and says, yes, he is worthy, we will choose this person? So those options are some of the things that are on the table as we look at it today. All right, so predestination, election, reprobation. All right, so let's take a look. So election, here's some definitions, is an act of God before creation in which he, what's the blank? Chooses, yes, chooses some people to be saved, not account, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Chooses some people to be saved. All right, so the question he asked off that is A, does the New Testament teach predestination? Does it, does it teach this concept of election? All right, so what's the verse that's highlighted there? Romans 8. Romans 8. Sir, Romans 8. Are there more than one verse, more than one passage that's in your text there, on your, on your handout? Yes. So what would you think Drew's answer to the question is? Yes. He, he would say that the answer is yes to the question. So Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. You got it. You have text. And we know that in all God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God 
let's go back to our definition of election. What does election say? Somebody read it for me. Albert, you got it? On the handout? <clears throat> election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses. So it's an act of God. So what part of what part of Romans 8, 28 through 30 did we do? Thank you. <clears throat> so it's an act of God, right? Which he what? He, he chooses. Is there a portion of that where he says he chose? Yes. Okay. Keep going. Um, some he chooses some people to be saved. Does it say he chooses everyone? No. Okay. Keep going. Not on account of any forcing them. So did it say that he chose them because he saw they would believe or they would do good works? No. Okay. This is going to be a problem for some of us, right? Yeah. But only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Does it talk about pleasure in there, anywhere in that passage? If it doesn't, you can go to Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6, and it talks about for the sovereign goodwill and his, uh, for the sovereign pleasure of his goodwill. That's where that phrase comes from. So it kind of pulls from a couple different passages to construct this particular definition. All right. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Yeah? So we're going to get nervous. It's okay. It's going to be nervous. It's going to be nervous. It's all right. We're using the E word today. All right. So how does the New Testament present the teaching of election? Um, inside this, this uh, passage of Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, Paul looks, he looks backward, way back into the past. Right? Like way back into the past. He looks at the present, and he looks at the future. And, and when I talk about the fact that I am safe and secure because God chose me in the past, he is choosing and saving me in the future, and he has a future completion where I will be with him, how does that make me feel? Am I sad or am I happy? I'm happy, right? I didn't put a blank next to B1 there, but if you want to put a smiley face next to B1, you can put a smiley face this is a comfort to us. Life is hard. Life is rough. And this is a comfort that we know that if we are believers, then this is the way this works. All right. Number two. So go to Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. I, was, I thought I had a there. Good. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. Who's got it? Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. You got it? Excellent. Go and check God has had the chance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and gave him great pleasure. He gave him what? Great pleasure. What kind of pleasure? Great pleasure. Okay. His pick gave him great pleasure. Now, didn't we just have something in the news where somebody picked something and gave him great pleasure? <laughs> we did, didn't we? Yeah. And you know what? That pleasure that they got, that they got split, however many ways they got to split it, is going to run out one day. It will run out. But the pleasure that God gets from picking us, he's going to enjoy us. You know, we, the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about uh, the, the, the end purpose of man is to uh, know God and to glorify him and have pleasure in him forever. He's going to have pleasure in us forever, too. That's a two-way street. Blows my head, right? So let's read that, that text again. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. So 
So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His kingdom. Excellent. So what do you think thing two is? We think it goes in blank. Reason to praise God, right? The reason to praise God. Because who did the work? Who did the picking? Did I pick? Not before the creation of the world, I didn't. <laughs> now, I, I picked him here. Of course, you know, he picked me first and worked all things so that I would pick him and drew me and loved me and sacrificed himself for me and showed me my sin nature and uh, protected me long enough and enabled me through common grace to come to the knowledge that I would live long enough to acknowledge that. But he picked me. So I praise him. I don't praise myself. I praise him. Does this make sense? So this praising and this uh, thanks is in contrast to praising man for man's salvation. It's praising God. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.10. 2 Timothy 2.10. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. So who's writing Timothy? Uh, that would be Paul. It's Paul. Yes. That's the name Timothy. Yes. It's the NIV commentary. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, so lest we think that we don't have any aspect of a part in any of this, Paul said, what about preaching? He said, I'm going to endure all things. All things are comfortable. Some things are comfortable and some things are not. So my wife got me this, uh, what's it called? Sweater? A fleece for Christmas. And it is extraordinarily comfortable. And she said I look good in it, so I like to wear it too. Um, but she got me this fleece, and it was extremely comfortable when I started teaching. But about two and a half minutes ago, the heat came on in this room, and I'm about to die right now <laughs> in this fleece. And, and when I started, I was gonna, I wore this today because of this verse. It was like, all things, some things are really, really comfortable. And I was like, <laughs> but what did Paul go through in order to preach the gospel? Uh, prison and beatings and stoning. Stonings and yeah. like they, there's arguments over whether or not he actually died doing what God told him to do. That sounds like a bad day. And he said, I will endure all things because this is valuable, this is important. This is an encouragement to evangelism, which you like, an encouragement to evangelism. Think about this. You ever been fishing? You ever been fishing? You may have been fishing and didn't catch anything. <laughs> what if I could tell you, what if I could tell you that I, I can't guarantee you that every time you'll throw your hook in the water that you'll catch something, but eventually there will be a result from your effort. Would that be an encouragement? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is how Grudem interprets this text from Paul, is that this is going to have some level of return. You're putting something in, and there'll be some positive that comes out of it. Now, all the time? No. Because there were some towns that he went to that he just did not go away. And there were some towns that he went to that he stayed for months and months and months and started churches there. Fantastic. That's good. But this is an encouragement to evangelism. Now, Grudem spends the majority of the text, uh, this chapter, talking about misunderstandings about the doctrine of election, and then uh, that was C, and then D is objections to the doctrine of election. So we'll, we'll go through both of these. And we will get to reprobation, and we'll do that right at the very end of the lesson. Alright, so how many of you ever thought about that if election is true, if God chose 
to me or you, then that sounds very fatalistic. Like, well, everything's just set in stone and sealed. And we're, we're robots, right? Because it's mechanistic means you've got this robotic feel to everything. Um, Gruden, his feedback to that would be, uh, you go to Matthew 23, 37, we'll be there in just a sec. Is our God a personal God or an impersonal God? The personal God. He's, has he made us to be persons or not persons? Persons. How do we know this? We made in his image, right? The Bible tells me so. Right? So, so here's, here's Gruden's point. Gruden's point is we believe the Bible every single time, even when it affronts our logic. So if, if, if God set things up so that he chose, then, or if he set things up so that he chose, and he set things up so that he is a person and we are people, then we don't get to make the judgment on the backside that this is impersonal or that we're robots. Because he defined us through his word. He says, you're made in my image. This makes sense? You got it. I told you, get your coffee. <laughs> get your coffee, all right? So what's Matthew 23, 37 say? You got it? Good. Excellent. Uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who's speaking here? Uh, Jesus. Jesus is, how you know? It's in red. It's in red, that's good. Uh, the one who killed the prophets and stones those who are sent to birth. How often I wanted to gather your children together, and the hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. But what? You were not willing. You were not willing. Which implies there is some level of what? Unwillingness. Unwillingness. That's a great answer. There's some level of unwillingness. That's right. Now, if there's a level of unwillingness, that means there's a choice involved, right? Okay. So let's marry up both sides of this. Because many, many, many times I feel like I read people that are, uh, they have beliefs. I want to get as far on this side of the room as I possibly can, theologically. And then I read somebody else, it's the only time you're going to see me run with my fire. <laughs> That's as fast as I can go. And I read somebody else, and they're as far as you can go this way. Is there like you ever? And you, you read these really, really smart people that love Jesus. They really love Jesus. And you're like, why do we have to stand on opposite sides of the room? Could, could it be that God both chose me before the foundation of the world and made me so that I can make a choice to choose him and those both be true? Yeah. Okay. Believing that doesn't mean this can't still exist. Now, there are all kinds of spectrums in between. Gruden talks at the end of this uh, chapter about who would build on that breath now? <laughs> I'm also really excited about this. It's interesting stuff. Uh, Gruden talks about who would believe this and who would not. So, all right, so the doctrine of election. Would a Presbyterian believe this? Yeah, absolutely. Would a Methodist believe it? No, 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 no. What about a Baptist? 
What is the Baptist faithful message? That, did y'all know the Southern Baptist Convention has a, a document that actually outlines what Southern Baptist churches should generally directionally believe. What's the Baptist faithful message say about election? You know? Right here. <laughs> you want to lean that way? Okay. You want to lean that way? Okay. And it, it feels like this sometimes reading it in those spots. It's like, uh, you can just hear the committees arguing over the specific words in there, but that, I won't digress on that. So there's some level of choice because he said there's unwillingness, right? There's several other passages here that talk about Revelation and Matthew and John, um, but it doesn't mean that there's not a choice involved. So look, it's Romans 10, 14, and 17. So do we have any obligation? Do we have any expectations? Does God tell us to go do anything? What do you tell us to go do? Preach the gospel. Why? Because it matters, right? What's verse 14 say? How then will they call of him of whom they have not believed? Right. And how are they to believe of him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Right. So this is the objection that uh, that people give to the doctrine of election is, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. If God is choosing some to be saved, then he is not choosing others. But what about them? This is our motivation. Right? Get up off our uh, backside and share the gospel. Right? Because you do not come to a knowledge of Christ without the sharing of the gospel. Period. Doesn't happen. You can stare at the stars and the mountains and the hills and the oceans all day long and know that there is a God. But without the gospel, lost. Okay? So when they say, what about those folks in the part of darkest Peru? Did I get it right, address? Darkest Peru? Yeah. <laughs> Some cartoon thing. Then we're going to subject this spread the gospel. Alright, so number two is the one that made me think for like three weeks. You ready for this one? Election, as Gruden defines it, is not based on God's foreknowledge of our faith. So I want to draw a distinction. I want to draw a distinction between election, which is God choosing before the foundation of the world, and faith. Okay. So I'm drawing distinction between God choosing before the foundation of the world and faith. So, <clears throat> I want to read you this text. Quite commonly, people will agree that God predestines some to be saved, but they will say that He does this by looking into the future and seeing who will believe in Christ and who will not. Have you heard this before? Yes. This is when I was called as a child. <laughs> If he sees that a person is going to come to saving faith, then he will predestine that person to be saved based on foreknowledge of that person's faith. If he sees that a person will not come to saving faith, then he does not predestine that person to be saved. In this way, it is thought, 
The ultimate reason why some are saved and some are not lies within the people themselves, not within God. See this? Where does the choice to choose someone to be saved happen? Or the foundation of the world. The scripture is very clear that God makes a choice before the foundation of the world. The question is, does he choose based on his divine pleasure? Or does he choose based on some expected outcome from a human being's life? That's an interesting question. And a lot of people that say he chooses because he looks into the future and says, that person will believe, so I choose that person. They use Romans 8.29 as their justification for that. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Which says, God looked forward, saw their faith, and picked them. And Gruden would say the only problem with that is that's not what the verse says. The verse says, for those whom he foreknew, not for those faith of those he foreknew. He picked people, not their faith. So this is Gruden's distinction here. Now, you see my palm? How is my palm? It is open. If you disagree with this, guess what? I love you. If you agree wholeheartedly, guess what? You're smarter than I am. <laughs> You're probably smarter than I am. If you disagree with it, that's okay. I'm all right with that too. This is difficult, difficult stuff. Here's what I want you to do. I want your brain to hurt today. I want you to think about things that are difficult, and I want you to put your nose in the book I didn't bring it. Not the not the rumors. Put your nose in the Bible and figure out what you believe. Because this is important. Alright. So A was foreknowledge of persons, not facts. So Ruth says those whom he foreknew, not the faith of those whom he foreknew. B. Uh, Ruth says scripture never speaks of our faith as the reason God chose us. Now, I want to draw a distinction here. Faith is the reason he saves us. Salvation and choosing are two different things. Okay? I want you to, I want you to separate those things in your mind because we like to look at all of salvation wrapped up in one instantaneous moment, the moment we got saved. That's how Baptists typically talk about salvation. It's a momentary thing. Salvation, the work, the process has been literally going on from eternity past and it will literally continue through eternity future. It is not an instantaneous thing in its entirety. There are components of salvation that started before we ever knew we were and will continue through whatever the end of, whatever time looks like at the end. I don't know. I'm still searching for words to describe that direction. I don't know how to say it. It's just always. Maybe we just say always. That's probably works. So scripture never speaks of our faith as the reason God chose us. Okay? So a couple other points. Uh, see there, election is based on something good in us. Our faith would be the beginning of salvation by merit. So this is the conclusion of his logic that says, if God is looking into the future and saying, oh, this person will believe, then he's considering that a part of working for your salvation. Now, this is where Grudem and I are like, ah, that, that one doesn't fit very well for me. It's, it, there's a, it's a very short section of his chapter. Um, I don't know. You say yes. Yep. Election is based on something good in us. Our faith would be at the beginning. Would be the beginning of salvation by merit. 
So here's another quote that I didn't put in your notes. Salvation at its most fundamental level is based on grace alone. And we, we kind of have to say yes to that, right? I mean, that's a... Right? Everybody agree? By grace alone? Yeah? Right. So he's saying, looking ahead, he's counting back. As I see some good work of yours, and I have, I have trouble saying the work and the faith. We seem like we're blurring lines there a little bit. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll go with that. E, Grudem's conclusion is that election is unconditional. Unconditional. It's a technical theological term. Guess what that's as opposed to? Conditional, yes. That's right. Election is unconditional. The reason for election is simply God's sovereign choice. Now, this understanding of election, I'm quoting from Grudem here, has traditionally been called unconditional election. It is unconditional because it is not conditioned upon anything that God sees in us that makes us worthy of his choosing us. Simply unconditional. That's not based on the right. previous statement. Say that again? It's not based on the previous statement. It's unconditional. Correct. So, I agree. It's part of the challenge that I struggle with. It, when he, I've heard him talk about this, and it's just... It's as fluid and consistent in the whole system of theology as anything else that he talks about. I, just, I hadn't got my head wrapped around it. However, I told you all, and I've told you for years and years, you're going to get substantive interaction with truth in this class. I'm going to make your brain hurt. I want you to understand how big and amazingly wonderful our God is, that He has all this figured out. I can't wait to spend eternity trying to figure it out. I'm hoping I don't have to play scratch and sniff with theology in eternity. I'm just a little more substantive with that. All right, so a couple of objections to the doctrine of election. I'm going to have to fly through this. So, uh, objection number one election means that we do not have a choice in whether we accept Christ or not. So, I hope that I've kind of attacked that a little bit. I think both of these things can be true at the same time. Uh, on this definition of election number two, our choices are not real choices. A lot of people say this. A lot of people say this is just not, it's not a real choice. And the problem I have with that is what Jesus said in the text that you read. that they were unwilling. God designed the universe so that we have a choice. Okay. If he says it's a choice, if he says it's a, a choice to be willing or unwilling, it feels like we really have a choice. Right? Okay. Number three, the doctrine of election makes us puppets or robots, not real persons. Well, I'm not a robot. We are halfway through the Disney movie Tomorrowland. There are robots in that movie. Y'all seen Tomorrowland? It seems really, don't give me away, don't give away the ending. I have no idea how to end so far. I'm hoping to finish it as then. There are robots in that movie. I am not a robot. You know how I know I'm not a robot? God said I'm not a robot. He said I'm a person to make this image. And that is wonderful. So, I have a problem with number three. Uh, number four, the doctrine of election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe. Romans 120. What's Romans 120 say? Who's got an excuse? Who can stand before God and say, I have an excuse? I have a hall pass? I'm exempt? Who can? Who can say it? Nobody can. 
can say. So Romans 10, 14 now. It's not what you're looking at. 10, 14 said what? Remember? Preach the gospel. If they don't hear it, there's a problem. This is what motivates us. Romans 1.20 scares me to death. I am absolutely terrified of Romans 1.20. Because I have family members that do not believe. No one. So you know what we did? We talk about the gospel. We live the gospel. We represent the gospel. We talk about the gospel. We live the gospel. We talk about... It scares me to death because nobody has an excuse. And then if you just want to go soak on Romans 9, like the whole thing, probably just a great treatise on election uh, in general. Um, you may have heard election is unfair. The Greenwich quote that is it would be perfectly fair for God not to save anyone just as he did with the angels. 2 Peter 2.4. <coughs> We've got 2 Peter 2.4. What happened when the angels rebelled? So Satan got pride. And how many of the angels fell? It's like a third of them, which I still mathematically hadn't figured this out, because God says they're uncountable, but he divided them up into a third that fell. Um, he's, that tells me he's a really good mathematician. It's awesome. Glad, glad to know this. He created the whole subject in Genesis 1, so I would think he'd be pretty good at it. That? So 2 Peter 2, 4, is that what it was? Yep, what's that? For God did not spare the angels who sinned, Cast them down in hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness. We reserve for judgment. Yeah. How many chances did they get? One. And the fact that we get any at all is grace. So I am thankful. I am very, very thankful. And then obviously there's a lot of folks that say, uh, the Bible says that God wills to save everyone. First Timothy 2 4, 2 Peter 3 9. Uh, Grudem's response to that is Romans 9. So um, this would take an hour and a half to two hours for us to have a decent, com- a decent, not even thorough, a decent conversation around all the complexities. So next to number six, circle Romans 9 in your notes. I want you to go home and read it, Romans 9. It is unbelievable. All right, now we're going to get to the doctrine of reprobation very, very quickly. <clears throat> you will not like this. Okay? I'm just tell you right now. This will make your heart hurt. Here's the doctrine of reprobation. Reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and therefore never manifest his judgment. Once you go to Jude 4, you have to use the index on Jude, Jude 4. I've never met any Christian teacher that lacked talking about reprobation. It is generally one of the things that unbelievers object to the most in all of theology. In all of theology. Jude 4, what's it say? For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who have long ago were marked out for this condemnation, and godly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So when were they marked for condemnation? Long ago. The phrase there is not used to describe something that happens in your lifetime. 
I don't know how this works. I don't know why he's chosen to do it this way. But I do know God is good and right and just and holy in all that he does. And even in that decision, he is good and right and just and holy in all that he does. And it scares me to death. Does this make sense? Yes, Carl. Do you think the, the trouble, I mean, I'm not talking about understanding how it works, do you think the trouble with the sentence is that we still think we're good people? I think we, I said, yes. Uh, I think the root of that is pride. I think that the issue that was the issue in the Garden of Eden is still the issue today. I know more. I am better. I want to just describe. And it's also, this is a this is a terrifying concept. Combined with the fact that it affronts our system of mental justice and fairness and equality. Because we have been taught fair, 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 fair since we were this big, because it's a really convenient way for moms and daddies to communicate, don't hit your brother. That's not fair. And the problem with fair is it's not theologically bad all the time. This makes nationalism all the more important. Because we don't know Say that again. This makes nationalism all important. We don't absolutely Right. When we talked about the, the text that uh, uh, the Dave read, 2 Timothy, where I will endure all things. You know why? Because I don't know who's going to be saved. This is important. This is eternal stuff. Whatever you have on your calendar today is secondary to spreading the gospel. It is. And this is what drives us. The doctrine of reprobation terrifies me, but it also stirs me up. Because I don't know who's going to be saved. And we're called to go participate. How beautiful is this that God asks us, no, asks, He commands us to participate in this. He commanded us last week to participate in doing good, and He commanded us to participate in spreading the gospel. Yes. Just real quick. And I'm probably going to word this wrong. No, it's okay. So these are Do you think that I have worded everything correctly today? <laughs> Y'all are gracious for listening to my befuddled handling of this this morning. This list of objections are some of the very reasons people choose not to follow Christ. Absolutely. So, and they absolutely wonder what if they had chosen not to do these objections. Right. Or not. Would they, would they have accepted? So we just don't know. That's right. I've, I got a guy at work that I'm talking to right now. We have lunch about once every week or every two weeks. And his primary objection to Christianity as a whole is the doctrine of reprobation. He cannot wrap his head around how God would not choose something to say. And that's what he's going to let stop. Yeah, that's right. Which it, it breaks my heart. I'm just sitting here kind of wondering if I should say anything because this is something that um, spent not only days, but weeks, and months, and years thinking through. Um, it's, it's, you know, the source of all of our denominations. Yep. I mean, this one topic is the source of it. And it's created such huge divisions in the body of Christ for, for you know, not just years, but centuries, and, and, and since, since the coming of Christ. That's right. So why is it so such a divisive or complicated issue? I think it has, 
got three, three, three reasons. Number one is it's that important. Number two, um, the more I talk with people about this particular topic, the more I realize that how they see themselves in God determines where they, which one of these excuses they yeah. okay. That's right. Yeah, and, that's kind of like what you're saying. And it's just an excuse. God is God, and we're not. Can you say that again? God is God, and we're not. That's probably a good mantra just to start the day with. God is God, and I am not. And, 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 you know, and so, um, the, the action off of this is <clears throat> get off your butt yes. and get busy. Yes. Because God chose to use us to make this whole problem go away and to eliminate that. But, you know, yes, it's, it's, um, it's important that we go with that. Yes, it is. Very, very important. But to me, just as important as. I think it's important that our lives are consistent with the message that comes out, but we are never, we're, and I don't think you're saying this at all, we're never given an excuse not to tell. And we're also commanded to live lives of righteous holiness that lines up with the message that we say. So, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to finish real quick, okay? Let's look at uh, practical application to the doctrine of election. So Grudem starts out and says, it is right for each Christian to ask of himself or herself, why am I a Christian? What is the final reason why God decided to save me? The doctrine of election tells us that I am a Christian simply because God in eternity past decided to set his love on me. But why did he decide to set his love on me? Here's your blame. Not for anything good in me, but simply because he decided to love me. And, and this is the question. This is the question that I cannot get past. I cannot get past this question. Somebody asked me a couple months ago, I said, what's the hardest thing in the Bible for you to understand? It's two words. Very, very simple. Why me? I don't get it. But I know me. And I'm bad. But it's not because of me. There is no more ultimate reason than that. It humbles us before God to think that it is this way. It makes us realize that we have no claim on God's grace, on God's grace whatsoever. Our salvation is totally due to grace alone. Our only, here's your blame, our only appropriate response is to give God eternal praise. We praise Him through lives of righteousness and holiness. We praise Him through spreading the gospel. We praise Him through the proclamation of truth. We praise Him through struggling with and pushing through things that make our heads and our hearts hurt. And we can never, ever stop. This is a hard, hard chapter. I thought about skipping reprobation as we were going through this. I thought about changing the title of the chapter and skipping rep reprobation. Because, like, I, I want to go throw up, right, thinking about it. The longer I think about it, the, the physically sick that I get. But this is to stir us. This is to get up. Exactly what you said, Dave. Get us off our butts and go be the church and do the work. Yes, last comment. We're out your salvation That's absolutely right. Oh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's the way to conclude this lesson. Thank you. I saw one more hand. Matt. Just one more real quick on that election that's always bothered me is, is how you can cause us to just say, well, God's the one that's going to take care of it all. So yes. Um, yes. Yeah. The, the right response is not apathy, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. Well, I just won't care. I'll do Yes. This guy, this coffee guy, so I'm talking today. This is good. I think. Maybe, possibly, 
Shaddai is an angry judge mm. who chooses this person or not chooses this mm. person. And that's all he knows around me. Shows God's love. He's like, they really mm. understood how much God loved us yeah. and how lovely God is, then it would be easier for them to accept it. Yeah. He didn't have to gain us, right? That's, that's the shocking thing. We're fighting. He didn't gain us. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I'm going to cut it off there. Um, I will encourage you, at the bottom of your handout is a, a website. If you go to that, there's expanded notes that I've, I've got online on this topic. You can dig in and learn a little bit more. Uh, thank you for the dialogue today. It was very helpful. At the center of your table is the weekly update. So a couple things on the weekly update to be aware of. Um, you have done a great job getting meals together for Daniel and Shelby Goble. You've done a really good job with that. There's a couple openings at the end of this week and the beginning of next week, so you can go on and help out with that. Um, and then we've got a Sunday school class lunch in this room in two weeks. So be on the lookout in your email inboxes for uh, information on that and on the Facebook group. Uh, more to come there. So lean in, engage, pray. Uh, Ms. Darla has done a fantastic job of reorganizing our ongoing prayer request session. So grouping things, so do those very much. I appreciate that. And uh, with that, we will close Sunday School today. So I hope you've been motivated to go care and love and engage. And I want you to do that now with your table. So thanks for coming today, guys.